0: Thank you for listening to Pastor Sean's Bible Study Teaching Podcast from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. This lesson was recorded during our Wednesday night adult seminars. For more information on Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. So we are on this journey of the order of salvation. I want to kind of get our bearings straight. And so way back when, a few months ago, I think even before Christmas, we started with how God saves us, and we started with before time, in eternity past, God chose us, God predestined us, God God elected us. Then at a point in time, God called us, it was an effectual call, then God regenerated us in that call, caused us to be born again, gave us the gifts of faith and repentance we personally trusted in Jesus And when we trusted in Jesus, we were justified freely. And that was a one-time declaration where God looks at us, pronounces us not guilty on account of Christ and His righteousness being credited to us. God adopted us into His family. And so those are all permanent things that have happened to us. We were called, we were predestined, we were justified, we were adopted. Now we're talking about sanctification. And sanctification is that process that we grow to be more like Jesus. It is not once and for all. There's peaks, there's valleys. You, you, you move forward, take two steps back, it's incremental, it's slow. You won't ever be perfect until the day you step foot into heaven. And so we've been spending the past, this is the fourth week we've looked at sanctification. So let's just kind of do some review. So sanctification is this ongoing battle between your sin nature and the Holy Spirit in you. This is a constant battle. Because it's a constant battle, we've got to kill sin. We've got to put sin to death in our lives. Then we looked at the issue of it's a joint partnership between us and the Holy Spirit. God works in us to will and act according to his good purpose. We looked at the role of the law. We talked about the third use of the law, that the Ten Commandments are still a a guide for living the Christian life. We are empowered to do so by the Holy Spirit. There's different degrees of growth. And then where we ended up last time was we talked about the means of grace. How does God grow us? And we talked about the ordinary means of grace, and we talked about the public means of grace What happens in a worship service? We talked about you sitting under sound preaching, you being in a worship service, celebrating baptism, the Lord's Supper, being in a corporate worship service where prayer and the Word of God is central. So what we're going to talk about tonight, what I said is the private means of grace or how do you grow personally in your own Bible study and prayer time. And so, to get us started on this conversation, I want us to go to one of the key passages of Scripture on sanctification, and that is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, we are jumping into the book of Romans after there's been 11 chapters, okay? So, I don't have time to preach Romans 1 through 11 tonight, But let me just describe to you what Paul has been sharing or teaching in the first 11 chapters of Romans. He's been showing us the gospel of grace Romans chapter 1 through 3 you're all sinners. The middle of Romans 3, he gets to the gospel. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. He talks about justification by faith. He talks about in Romans chapter 8 how we've been called, how we've been, uh, you know, what Dwayne preached on Sunday. If God's for us, who can be against us? All these wonderful blessings of what it means to be saved. And then we get to chapter 12, and Paul starts with a therefore. So what he's doing, he's saying, in light of everything that I've taught you for the past 11 chapters, therefore, here's what you're to do. So in Romans, is everybody there? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So Paul begins by saying, I appeal to you. This is a heartfelt request. I'm urging you, I'm appealing to you, I'm asking you to do this. So what's he appealing for us to do? Well, he wants us to obey. He wants us to present our bodies. He wants us to live for Christ. But what's the basis for our obedience to Christ? What does he say? I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. That's very, very important. By the mercies of God. Now, you have to ask a question, what are the mercies of God? Well, it's everything that he's taught in the first 11 chapters of Romans. The fact that God has saved us, that Christ died on the cross, that we've been justified, that we've been adopted. All of these mercies. And so Paul spends a lot of time talking about the gospel of grace in verses one through, or chapters 1 through 11. And then he says, in light of all that mercy, in light of all that grace, therefore, live out your faith. So he puts the gospel first as the motivation for us to obey. In other words, he's saying the only way you can obey is because of God's grace and mercy in your life. And so we have to obey. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So we need to keep the commandments. We need to obey. We need to grow. We need to be more holy. But we also need to remember that Jesus promised the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is our helper, the Spirit of Truth. Where does the Holy Spirit live? Inside of you. He empowers you. He equips you. He gives you God's grace and mercy to be able to keep Jesus' commands. So the mercies of God are very, very important for you to obey. The only way you can obey is by God's grace in your life. So Paul is going to tell us to live our lives for Christ. But how does he do that? Well, let's look at the first thing he tells us to do. The first thing he tells us to do here is present your bodies as living sacrifices. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Now, I find it very interesting. Paul does not say, present your heart, present your mind, present your emotions, present your affections. Why does he say, present your bodies? Because we live our lives in our bodies. We can say we love Jesus all we want in our hearts, in our minds, but if it's not lived out in action through our lives, the totality of our lives, it's just words. You know, there's a lot of people I know that want to be really spiritual. And I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody come to me and they're either having an a sexually immoral relationship or they're, they're living in sin and they, they often think that all that God really cares about is your heart. I know what I'm doing is wrong, but God looks at my heart. I know I, I've got a good heart. Well, does Paul here say present your heart? Now, we, our hearts have to be in it, but Paul says present your bodies. And so, to express our obedience most fully to Christ with the total life of worship, it includes our hearts, it includes our minds, it includes our souls, and it includes our bodies. Earlier in the book of Romans, Paul said this in Romans 6.13 about our bodies. He says in Romans 6.13, do not present your members, that's your body parts. Do not present your body parts to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members or your body parts to God as instruments of righteousness. So it's important that we live out our faith in the totality of who we are. Mind, soul, body. So Paul here is saying, present your bodies, the totality of your life, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So we we must never separate the mind and the soul and the heart from the body. Now, Now this is why Paul addresses this. In that ancient culture of Greece, Greek philosophy, basically it was called Gnosticism. And basically it said that what you do in your body with flesh and blood doesn't really matter. What really matters is your soul floating out there somewhere in the ether. And so what's really important is your soul. And here's how they abuse that. Basically, they said you can, get, you can have a sex with as many people as you want. You can get as drunk as you want. You can go to orgies. And you can do anything you want with your body because your body doesn't really matter as long as your soul out there is fixated on something positive. Now, that is not the Christian message. God created us body and soul to be lived, integrated. So we live our lives in our bodies and and our soul and body are both to be holy. And it's interesting, why do you think Paul says, present your bodies, and this sounds weird, a living sacrifice. Now, what do you know about the Old Testament? What was the Old Testament sacrificial system? What did they do? They sacrificed what? Bulls and goats and sheep on the altar, and they sacrificed animals as a way to appease God's justice through a blood sacrifice. And those, those animals were dead, right? So why does he say a living sacrifice? What comes to your mind when you think of a living sacrifice? It means you die to yourself. You take up your cross and you follow Jesus. Jesus. In sanctification. so a living sacrifice lives in such a way that our obedience is displayed in concrete action. It needs to be visible. it needs to be lived out. What does Matthew 5:16 say? In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father, who's in heaven. So we are to live lives in our bodies, Pleasing to God as living sacrifices. And he says, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, do you guys have a footnote or a different translation? I think some translations, mine has a footnote that says um, rational service, reasonable. The word really there is, is reasonable or fitting. It's fitting. Why is it fitting to live this way? Because it just is. It just makes sense that you're going to want to glorify God in a lifestyle of worship. You're going to want to do that. And so because of God's mercies in giving us this new identity, it's reasonable to worship Him with not presenting our, bo- or presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. So the first thing that Paul focuses on is our bodies. Now, in verse 2, Paul focuses on our minds. Not only focuses on the body, but on the mind. Let's think about the connection between your body and your mind. Okay, so when I say mind, let me just ask you a question. When the Bible says mind, soul, heart, it's basically talking all about the same thing. The, the inner self. So let me ask you a question. Where does most sin start? In your mind. What you think about, what you dwell on, what you um, consume your thoughts with. And then it's usually acted out in your body. Now, not all the time. Sometimes you may just impulsively do something and and you have not a thought about it. But usually what goes on in your heart and mind dictates what you do outwardly. So first, Paul says, present your bodies, the outward way you live, holy and acceptable to God. And then in verse 2, he gives two commands. One is negative and one's positive. One is something we're not supposed to do, and one's something we're supposed to do. So, what's the first one's the negative? What we're not supposed to do. So, what's the first thing he says in verse two? Do not to. Do not keep being conformed to this age. Do not be conformed to this world. Now, the word "conformed" there is in the present tense, so it means. Don't keep on continually being conformed to this age or this world. The word is really age instead of world. It's the present evil age over which Satan holds sway and the power of sin is paramount. So we have three enemies. We call it the unholy trinity. What's the unholy trinity? The world the flesh and the devil the world is the system over which Satan has control he's the prince of the power of the world and it's everything that comes at you that tries to squeeze you into its mold so the world's going to want to conform you to it and Paul says don't don't be conformed to this world I don't have to tell you what's going on in this world you know it very well But there's a verse that kind of explains it very very specifically. 1 John 2, 15-17 Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Don't Be conformed to this world. What is this world going to want to do to you? Well, let's go further on into the book of Romans, okay? So let's just turn over one chapter. So let's go to Romans chapter 13. We're going to come back to 12, but Paul's saying, don't be conformed to this world, okay? Romans 13, 12 through 14 Paul's going to give some more teaching on growth in Christ. So is everybody there, Romans 13, 12 through 14? Okay, he says this. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul is using an imagery here of clothing. He often does that, clothing. Even Peter does it. Take off, put on. Take off, sin as if it's a dirty, stinky pile of clothing, you take it off, you get rid of it, and instead you put on. You put on the works of righteousness. You put on Jesus. And so he says, cast off. Cast off what? Cast off works of darkness. The word cast off means to quickly throw off your clothes and put them away. Anybody ever... um, I was at the church I preached at Sunday. This has kind of popped in my head. One of the guys that was at the church, we, were at, we had a potluck afterwards, and he was talking about how he works, he had, he's a rancher, so he was out there with the, with the um, cattle, and he came back into the house, and he was totally covered with manure. And he walked into the house, didn't take his boots off, and he walked over to his wife, he said he even had like manure all on his, like, caked onto his face and everything. He walked up to his wife and was going to give her a big kiss. And she's like, you will not step foot into this house until you go take those clothes off and clean yourself up. And he's like, come on, baby. You know, it was like a big joke. And, but you guys know what it would be like to walk in to a nice clean house covered with your clothing with manure or stinky or whatever. What's the first thing you want to do? Get it off. That's the imagery here that Paul says is strip off, take off What? Not close works of darkness, works of darkness, things of this world. Ephesians five, eleven through fourteen, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But then when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Why do a lot of people do things sinful in the dark? Because they don't want anybody to see what they're doing. Now, in our culture, it's becoming like white out in the middle of the day. Before, like people would do it at night so that you wouldn't get caught, but people are doing things out in the middle of the day. So Paul says, cast off works of darkness. Do not be conformed to this world. Instead, what does he say? Put on, this clothing analogy, put on what? The armor of light. The word armor means like a weapon, a weapon of war. Now we know in Ephesians it talks about the full armor of God. But notice what he says here in 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy, destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You put on the armor of light, you take every thought captive to Christ. You get rid of works of darkness. You put on the armor of light. You put on the, the, the full armor of God. And then in verse 13, he says, let us walk properly. The word walk, when Paul uses the word walk in almost all of his writings, it really means the totality of our lifestyle. And the word properly means decently or righteously. Walk the Christian Walk. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Walk in a manner worthy. Live the Christian life in a worthy manner. Live up to your profession of faith. Philippians one twenty seven. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come to you and see that you are absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Okay, so walk, so get rid of darkness, put on light, and walk properly. And then he says, not in, and then he's these acts of darkness. Now, this is where the world and the flesh work together. Okay, what's going to happen? World, flesh, and devil all work together. So the devil can tempt you. The world and friends and seductions can tempt you, and your own flesh can be drawn to those things. So the things that are listed here are things you may be tempted with with your own flesh and things the world tempts you with. So <clears throat> the first thing he says here is orgies and drunkenness. Now, let me just kind of explain to you. You may think well, that's, kind of, that's extreme, orgies and drunkenness. Back in Paul's day, they would have these trade guilds. It's like a pottery guild, silversmith guild. And part of your job, especially in these Greek cities, part of your job was to go to a party in honor of the Greek god Dionysius. He's also known as Bacchus, the god of wine and orgies. And as you would go to this party, you were required as part of your job to engage in orgies and get drunk, and it was just kind of what they did. Like if you wanted to stay a plumber or if you wanted to stay a potter or a candlestick maker, you had to go to the the party. And it was very hard for Christians of that day because they couldn't participate in those things and sometimes they would lose their jobs because they wouldn't participate in these orgies and these drinking parties that were very, very common in the Greek culture wrapped up in their mythology and their Greek gods and goddesses and also part of their, basically just their work life. So Galatians 5, 19-21 now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Peter 4.3 for The time that has suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. So the world is going to want to, you to conform to that type of behavior. And your flesh is going to want to engage in that type of behavior. But you've got to cast it off. Okay, he goes on and says sexual immorality and sensuality. Okay, Jesus talks about the source of that in Matthew. Sorry, in Mark 7, 21-23. For from within... Out of the heart of man comes what? What comes out of our hearts? Jesus tells us evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these things, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So the world's going to want you to participate in these things, but these things really start from within you. So you're going to want to do them and the world's going to try to get you to do them. They're going to lure you into that. And Paul says, don't be conformed to that. First Corinthians twelve twenty-one. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of their impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they practiced. Paul says, If I come, there's gonna be some of you in the church that haven't repented from all these things. And then first Thessalonians four, three through six. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles, who do not know God, but that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand, and solemnly warned you. So the first things on this list are more like sexual sins related to orgies and sex and drinking, but then he gets to the last two things on the list quarreling and jealousy backbiting quarreling jealousy division first corinthians 3:3 for you are still the flesh for while there is jealousy and strife among you are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way and then this is an interesting passage in james Three, fourteen through sixteen. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Okay, Romans twelve, verse two. Do not be conformed to this world. Romans 13, cast off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Get rid of these deeds of darkness. And then notice, ultimately, what does verse 14 say? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier he said put on the light, the armor of light. Here he says put on Jesus. So think about this for a moment. We are to wear Jesus-like clothing. I know the metaphor is kind of weird. He goes with us, he sticks with us, he's very close to us. Now let me just ask you a very simple question. We're all adults here, unless you're a nudist, does anybody want to leave the house here without clothing? No. Does anybody want to leave without Jesus being the one that you wear? It's the same concept. So put off the old Put on the new, this clothing analogy. Paul says in Ephesians four twenty-two 22-24, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And then here's the key. This is where we oftentimes fail. What's the very last phrase there in verse 14? Make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires. Make no provision. The word provision comes from the root word to think. Don't spend time mulling over or thinking about or planning or premeditating how you're going to engage in sin. Now think about a camping trip or a hunting trip. Do you just jump in the car and go? What do you have to do? If you're going to go camping, especially like before the boys were born long time ago, back in the mid-90s when Don and I were first married, we'd go backpacking. And we'd go backpacking like we'd hike six or seven, ten miles up in the mountains, and we'd camp a few days backpacking. Well, you couldn't just start off. You had to have your backpack. You had to make sure that you had in the backpack your sleeping bag and then your water purifier and all the utensils to cook and then your food and then everything that you needed, extra clothes, ponchos, because it was always raining in Colorado. And so you had to make provisions. So you make a lot of provisions. You make a lot of preparations when you're going to go camping, when you're going to go hiking, when you're going to go on a big trip. You've got to put a lot of thought, energy, and time into getting stuff ready. Well, Paul's saying don't do that when it comes to sin. Don't spend time preparing. Don't spend time thinking. Don't spend time mulling or ruminating or premeditating how you're going to sin. Because where does sin often start? In your mind and your heart. And then it comes out in your actions. You can nip it in the bud, in the heart. Remember we looked at a few weeks ago, you've got to kill sin. Instead of feeding your flesh, you've got to kill it. You've got to kill sin. Romans 8.13, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Put to death the deeds of the body. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You've killed it. You've made no provision. You've cast it off. <clears throat> and then First Peter two eleven and 12, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, I was going to have us go to Colossians 3, but I think for the sake of time, we won't go there. I'll just paraphrase it for you. You can go read it later. Colossians 3 basically says, Put off all of these sinful things we've been looking at and put on Jesus. It's basically the same thing. It's just a little bit more comprehensive. But you guys can go back and read that later on. So let me give you guys a story about Augustine. He's often called Saint Augustine or Augustine. He was one of the greatest theologians of the early, like around the 400s. So he's written a book called The Confessions, And in the Confessions, it's basically just his testimony of how he came to faith in Christ. And so Augustine basically was a sex addict. This is back in the 400s AD. He would visit prostitutes. He had many different lovers. He was basically a a sex fiend. And his mother, Monica, prayed for him diligently. She prayed for his purity. She prayed for his salvation. And he was in Milan, Italy. And he started to hear good preaching, and he came under conviction. And one day, he goes out to the garden of where he was living. He was living kind of in a house. He goes down to the garden. He kneels under a fig tree, and he begins weeping. And he's not really sure why he's crying. He just knows that he's under conviction. And then some little children, he tells, are, are playing over, over like the wall. And these little, these little kid voices kept saying this over and over again pick it up and read it pick it up and read it pick it up and read it he's like what's going on pick it up and read it he just these, these kids are playing over here and he keeps hearing pick it up and read it well he took that to mean i better go back up to my room and pick up my bible and read it so he goes up to his room and he does the whole you know like pick it up and read it so he had a bible on the on his desk you know how you kind of like, oh, let's pick where I'm going to, like he just opens it randomly. Well, he opens it randomly, and guess where it opens on this passage of Scripture? Romans 13, what we just looked at. He didn't need to read any further, because what's this talking about? <laughs> sexual immorality. What is he? He's a, he's a sex fiend. He, he's, a, he's a sexual pervert. And he said this, He said, it was like a light of relief from all anxiety flooded into his heart and the shadows of doubt were dispelled. At that moment, he got on his knees and he repented of his sins and God saved him and he became a Christian that day. He became a Christian by reading this passage about orgies and drunkenness and putting on Christ. Well, he goes and he tells his mother Monica and she's overjoyed with gratitude. That, her, that God had saved her son. And he, he wrote this in his book, The Confessions. He said, from that moment on, I did not ever have any desire to chase women ever again, and God took the lust out of my heart. He totally had a transformation. All because of this particular passage of Scripture. So, Paul is telling us here, do not, be conformed to this world. Put off the deeds of darkness. Take off the sin. Put on Christ. Okay. Now, let's go back to Romans 12. Okay, Just go back, back to where our main text is. So as I said, the first thing was negative not to do. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't let this world influence you, mold you, impact you seduce you, don't let this world have its sway in your life. Okay, second command. Okay, so what's the second command in verse 2? It's positive. What should we do then? Okay, so verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but, okay, here's the positive command, be transformed by the renewal of your minds. And again, that is in the present tense. So it's constantly be having your mind renewed. Constantly having your mind transformed. Have your mind transformed and renewed. Okay, so let's talk about this. Who is the one who actually transforms your mind and renews your mind? Do you do that? No, the Holy Spirit does it to you, in you. Okay, are you responsible to put yourself in a position to have your mind renewed? Yes. Is it going to happen automatically? Maybe, but probably not. So we've got to place ourselves in situations or practices or do things that are going to renew our minds. What happens to your mind? John Calvin said this. He said, our minds are a perpetual factory of idols. Our minds just want to keep churning out idol after idol after idol. We have vain imaginations, our minds go in all these different places, and things come into our minds, and, and you're you're gonna you are going to have a problem with your mind if you don't have it renewed. So you need to have your mind renewed. Okay, so how do you have it renewed? This is what we're gonna spend the rest of our time on tonight. So when we spend time in the Word, in prayer, meditating on the things of Christ, filling our, our time with the things that glorify Jesus, it puts us more in a position for the Holy Spirit to do this work of transformation. Okay, so again, that joint partnership. You've got to do some things, The you've got to do some private Bible study and prayer as the means to have your mind renewed and the Holy Spirit's the one that's ultimately going to do it through the Word, but you've got to put forth the effort to be able to do that. So, I call this scripture saturation. Last week we talked about the public means of grace sitting under a preacher that preaches to you every Sunday. This is the private means of grace. This is your personal Bible study. Whether you call it a quiet time, whether you call it a daily devotion, whatever you want to call it, I like to call it scripture saturation. And so when you think of the word saturate, what what comes to your mind when you think of the word saturate? to be soaked, to be inundated, to be covered, to to let it sink in. So, scripture saturation involves four key activities that you are responsible to do. So if you want to have a renewed mind, you need to saturate yourself in the scriptures. So these involve reading your Bible, reading the scripture, memorizing scripture, meditating on the scripture, and obeying the scripture. So let's talk about these four tonight. Let's talk about reading. This may be the, I started with the easiest one first. Okay, reading the scripture. So when you read the Bible, you need to be reading it with a heart towards understanding what it says. How many times have you sat down and started reading the Bible and you didn't really understand what it was saying? That happened to me yesterday. I sat down to read Isaiah, and I think I was in Isaiah chapter 5. And I started reading devotionally, and I'm like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> this king did this, and this king that. Like, I got lost in the history of everything. I'm like, I'm trying to remember this king, and so I, I was losing the forest for the trees, and sometimes you're just like, okay, I need some help here, especially when you're in the Old Testament. So what should, you, what should you pray before you read your Bible? Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I would encourage you to do this. When you sit down to read your Bible, before you read your Bible, pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, open my eyes that I may understand what I'm reading. Okay, I may be sleepy this morning, if you do it in your morning. I may have so many things on my heart and mind. I just need your help when I read the Bible that, that you will give me understanding. So open my eyes that I may see what is here. Okay, Open the eyes of my heart. And then we also trust the Holy Spirit. So John 16, 13-14, Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not seek his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, if I had control of the lights, which I don't, we don't do it for the we, we won't do it for the live stream, but if I turned out all the lights in here, what would happen? You'd be in the dark. What happens what happens when I turn on the lights? What do you call it? Turning on the lights. Or there's a fancy name for it illumination. The room's been illuminated. The role of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate or turn the light bulb on in your heart and mind so that you can understand the Scripture. The problem's not the Bible. The problem is us. We oftentimes don't understand the Bible. We need to pray for understanding. So when you sit down to read your Bible, you may need to spend just a few moments asking the Lord to open your eyes and your heart to what you're reading and ask the Holy Spirit to give you insight. So I would say this. Read your Bible prayerfully, carefully, and repeatedly. If possible, use multiple translations. I encourage you to do this. Read the Scripture out loud. Silent reading is a modern convention, like within the past maybe 100 years. But almost all cultures, at least Western cultures, always read out loud even when they were by themselves. Now, there's nothing magical about reading your Bible out loud, but sometimes when you read it out loud, you hear the weight of it. It makes you slow down. You hear it. I'm not saying you should do this every time that you read the Bible, but sometimes it's helpful just to read it out loud. Okay, so read your Bible. Have a reading plan. Now, there's different ways you can do a reading plan. You can do the Robert Murray McShane, read the Bible in a year plan. You can do the Navigators, read the Bible in a year plan. There's a lot of different new versions, read the Bible in a year plan. We've got the Table Talk magazine out there free on the resource table from Ligonier Ministries. It has the, it's, it's every month, you know, it's got, it's a month's magazine, but it's got every day of the month, it's got a Bible reading. Whatever plan you use, have a plan to read your Bible every day. And I would say this, this is just me personally. Sometimes the read the Bible in a year annual reading plan is so much reading because they want you to get through the whole Bible. Sometimes it's too much. I would much rather take smaller chunks and, and read, read it and, and maybe spend more time on a smaller chunk than like reading a, whole, a lot. Now, one of the things, I wish I would have brought it in here. Um, I don't think it's in my office. I'd have Trina. I'll just, I'll just explain it to you. So, Crossway, which publishes the ESV, has these journal Bibles. And so I've got first and second Timothy in there. So basically you can get it for every book of the Bible. And it comes as a journal with that book, and it's got the Bible on one side and it's got lines on the other side. So instead like you can have a journal, and we'll talk about that in a moment, or you can have the the journal and the Bible all there together, and you can you can purchase them. They're like about ten bucks on Amazon. Um, You have one? Oh, there's one on my desk too. I mean, if you want to go get it, that's fine. But that's just a good... The point is, you've got to read your Bible. Okay, number two. This is a little bit harder. Memorize the Scripture. Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says this. How can a young man... Keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, I'm going to pick on you here for a moment. I can't memorize scripture. How many of you have memorized all your different passwords? How many of you memorize lyrics from songs from the 80s or 90s that you're driving down the road it comes on like, how do I still remember this? How many of you remember locker combinations? You guys have a lot of things locked up in your brains that you've memorized. So your brain is, your brain is built by God to be able to memorize. It's just, do you exercise that part of your brain? So memorizing God's word is very difficult but it's very, very important. And there's different ways you can do that. There's the Fighterverse app through Desiring God that you can go through on your phone and it gives you a verse a day. You can do the old-fashioned cards that you can get out. Um, I know some people that have memorized entire books of the Bible, I, I would say, start slow. Um, I would memorize in consecutive order, like... Some people memorize all these different verses all over the place, and that's fine, but like maybe take a psalm, like Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who, and then it's got the whole psalm. I don't have it memorized. i was about ready to start doing it. I'm like, I better not do that because I don't have it memorized. Um, but start someplace easy, like in a psalm or something short, and then just, just spend time memorizing it. Again, that that's going to take a little bit more time, but Let me just ask you a question. What would happen if tomorrow the U.S. government said all Bibles are banned? They're banned off your phones. They're banned from being sold on Amazon. You can't buy them at Walmart. You can't have a Bible in your possession, and you can't buy a Bible, and they're not online anymore. How would we survive as Christians? Now, I don't think that's going to happen, but the question is how would we survive? How would I preach? I would have to preach from memory. You'd have to trust that, I'd rem- that I would memorized it correctly. But I'm just saying, memorizing is a skill that you need to learn to do. And it's a hard skill, but the Bible does say, store his word in your heart. So I'm not going to be legalistic about it and say, if you're not memorizing scripture, you're a bad Christian. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is these are means of grace privately that God has given you as a way to renew your mind. So just think of it this way. The more you read the Bible, the more your mind's going to be renewed. The more you memorize Scripture, the more your mind's going to be renewed. Okay? Now, the next one. We do not do this at all in our culture, and, and you're, you'll be afraid of the word when I even use it. Meditate on Scripture. Now, we are so cultured. To think about Eastern mysticism with the person going, oh, like in the lotus position. That's not what I'm talking about. Meditation. No, meditating on Scripture. Okay. Before Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land across the the Jordan River, what does Joshua 1.8 say? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall what? Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Meditate on God's book day and night. Meditate. Okay, I said Psalm 1. I I didn't have it memorized, but I'm going to read it now. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates, what? Day and night. Same thing that we saw there in Joshua. You meditate on the book of the law, God's word, day and night. Psalm 119.99. I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. So the Bible is very clear that we are to meditate. Now, the word for meditate is very interesting in the Hebrew. These are Old Testament, written in Hebrew. Meditate. It means to groan or to speak out loud. That's why I said read your Bible out loud. Now, what does it mean to meditate? Okay, this has been a very weird winter, has it not? A long, cold winter where our ground has been what? Covered with snow. Okay, so my yard has, there's no snow left in my yard because I have a big tree, but my next-door neighbor, the tree put shade on, on their yard. Their yard still has a lot of snow. So I went to family food market today, and my neighbor is, was the cashier, and so we were in line, and I said, man, your snow hasn't melted. She says, I think we have mold. We may have mold underneath that. So there's been so much snow that some yards are getting mold because the water has sunk so deep, and there's nowhere to go. Now, think about the, the summertime here in northeastern Colorado. What what, often, what would you rather have? If you're a farmer and you're a rancher, what would you rather have? What do we normally have in the summertime around fair? This big, huge hailstorm that does what? Comes in and destroys crops, and it saturates the land for like a few hours, and then it just, it's, it's done. Do you want that, or do you want four or five days of a slow, steady, constant rain that soaks into the ground? over time not as long as it was this winter where your your ground molds but meditating is like that it's letting the word of god do that steady drip into your heart and mind you're thinking about it you're you're going back to it you're you're contemplating it it's letting your mind become saturated over time with god's word okay so when you marinate chicken or you marinate beef what do you do You let it sit in the marinade for what, usually they say what, 30 minutes? If you want it to be really tenderized, you put it in there longer. So that's kind of, you need to talk to your grandma? (coughs) So when you marinate beef or you marinate chicken, you're soaking it so that it gets all in there. (coughs) When you meditate on scripture, that's what you're doing. You're letting the scripture get into your heart, you get into your soul. You're thinking about it. You're, you're meditating on it. You're, you're thinking about it. Now, I'm going to give you a weird quote from Charles Spurgeon. Okay. This is what Charles Spurgeon said before he was going to preach a text from the scriptures. Okay, So this is, this is a weird Spurgeon quote, but I like it. <clears throat> Here we go. Spurgeon said, I try to get saturated with the gospel. I always find that I can preach best when I can manage to lie a soak in my text after I have bathed in it I delight to lie down in it and let it soak into me okay Spurgeon what do you mean by that now we know what he's saying I like to take a bath with the Bible it's basically what he's saying is like when you are in the bathtub and you're in there for a long time what happens you get all pruny, right okay because the water so what Spurgeon is like is saying is I want to be so much in the Word that it's kind of soaked into me, that it's so much in me that I've marina- I'm marinating, I'm saturating in the Bible. That, that's what meditation is. It's it's thinking, it's meditating, it's it's running it over in your mind, and it's tied to memorization because usually if you have it memorized, you're still thinking about it throughout the day. Philippians four eight says this. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. When Paul says think, that word means to calculate, meditate, consider strongly, deliberate. It's in the present tense, constantly be running these things over and over in your mind. Think deeply about them. So meditating on Scripture involves focusing on the truth of that Scripture, letting letting it sink into your mind, thinking about the implications of it. Um, One of the ways, I think, that can help you is journaling. Now, journaling is not mandated in the Bible. You're not going to find a Scripture that says, Thou shalt journal. But when you have a journal or a notebook or whatever you call it, it's an opportunity for you to read the Bible, memorize the Bible, and meditate on the Bible. And then if you journal, if you write, physically write, now some people still type. I find that when you physically write things out, there's that mind muscle writing that helps you to process and think more about. So journaling, when I did discipleship with, with the guys last year, we did, we did what's called a hear journal. H E A R, okay, and it, it, four headings. So if you read a passage of scripture and you want to do something, H E A R. This is not in your notes, but just think about. It. Here is highlight. So H is for highlight. Highlight would be okay. What's the one verse that stuck out to you? You write that down. What, what, what was the highlight? Okay, you write that out. What, okay. E, explain. In a few sentences, write, write out an explanation of what that passage means. What does it mean? A, application. How am I going to put this, this verse to practice in my life? How does this apply to me? And then R is respond. It's usually, okay, it's, you write a prayer back to the Lord about how you're going to respond or you write an action step of what you're going to do. So let's say you read a passage of Scripture and that was your daily reading. And then you got your here journal next to you. Okay, what's the highlight verse? What's the verse that stuck out to me? Okay, E, let me explain that verse or explain the passage. What does it mean? A, application. Okay, what does this mean for me? How am I going to apply it? And then R, response. Maybe you write a prayer out to the Lord, thanking him or praising him or, 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 or committing what you're going to do that day. That's helping you meditate on the scriptures because you're having to go through a process And you can buy a HEAR journal online. Just type in HEAR journal on Amazon. I think they're $12. It's just a journal. Actually, HEAR are already there for you. Or you can take a journal and and write the HEAR whatever. But it's just kind of a practical way to, 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 to get the scriptures in your heart and in your mind. Okay? So my advice is don't rush it. Carve out time to pray, to read your scripture, to journal, to meditate, to memorize. And none of this really matters unless we get to the fourth issue, and that's obey. You've got to obey the scripture. Obey what you read. James one 22 through 22-25. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You've got to be a doer of the word. So, scripture saturation involves four practices. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to memorize your Bible. You've got to meditate on the Bible, and you've got to Do what it says. Now, what's the benefit of Scripture saturation? What benefit is it to you to be in your Bible? Well, King David in Psalm 19 gives us the benefits of being in God's Word. And he's going to use a bunch of different synonyms or like words for, for the Bible. So, I'll just show this to you. So let's read Psalm 19, 7 through 9. The law, okay, the law of the Lord. That's just another word for God's word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony, that's just another word for the Bible. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. Let's just look at four wonderful benefits that we receive from reading your Bible, studying your Bible, memorizing your Bible, meditating on your Bible, obeying your Bible. Okay? The first thing it says, and I'm going to sneeze, Wow. Excuse me. It always comes in threes cuz I'm a trinitarian. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit going to it's going gonna, it's gonna to come in threes, but we'll see. All right. So the first thing here. First of all, God's word revives, I told you. All right. We got one more. God's word revives or converts the soul which connotes that God's word restores from disorder or decay. When it says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, oh, sorry. that word revives can also mean convert. It means that God's word brings refreshing. God's word brings revival. God's word brings um, cleansing. It brings order, it brings encouragement you're you're revived by reading god's word. Um, what is revival? Revival comes from two words: re and vive let's we'll start with vive What does vive mean to be alive? re means to be alive again now, if you're a christian you're spiritually alive, you're no longer spiritually dead, but what the Bible does is it it, bring, it brings life to your soul. It encourages you. It lifts you up. It revives you. Second, it makes wise the simple. Now, this is not talking about intelligence here. This talks about moral judgments. When it talks about the simple or the fool, especially in the book of Proverbs, it's not talking about a per- person who has... Doesn't have intelligence. It's talking about a person who has moral, makes morally bad judgments, a person who's morally bad, a person who, who doesn't understand um, the scriptures and how to live a pure life. And so, what does the Bible do? It gives you wisdom on how to live for God. It gives you wisdom. Titus 2 11 through 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self controlled upright and godly lives in this present age the bible helps us to say no to ungodliness it, it makes wise the simple it gives us wisdom third obedience to the bible makes the heart rejoice it's not a drudgery to obey god's word it's a joy it's not a duty but it's a delight and john tells us this in first john five two through four We know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that that has overcome the world, our faith. His commandments aren't burdensome. You want to do God's will because He's changed your heart to do so. Obeying God and and being in His Word and and, and following Him is not a drudgery. It's something you joyfully want to do. And then it enlightens our eyes. (laughs) Enlightens our eyes. It's more to be desired than honey. It's interesting the word that David uses there for desired. It's more to be desired than honey. The word desired there that he uses in Psalm Psalm 19 is the same word used for the fruit in the Garden of Eden. So David's doing a play on words here. What did Eve do when she saw the fruit? Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The fruit was desirable in the wrong way. David saying, in the right way, God's word is desirable. We want to read it. We want to study it. We want to meditate on it. We want to memorize it. Okay? Jesus said this in John 8, 31 through 32. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay, what does it mean to abide in Jesus' word? It means to live, to let his word saturate you, to let his word live in you, to, 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 to be consumed by his word. And what's going to happen if that happens? If you abide in his word... If you spend time in his word, if you read his word, if you study his word, if you memorize his word, if you meditate on his word, if you saturate yourself in scriptures, he says you'll know the truth. And what's that truth going to do? The truth will set you free. Now, in the context of that, he's talking to the Pharisees saying, you guys are slaves to sin. And they're like, we've not been slaves of anybody. We're not slaves. And Jesus is like, anyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. You need to abide in my word because that truth will set you free. So we need to abide in the word of Christ so that we can know the truth of Christ so that we can be set free to live for Christ. Is there a lot of heresy and untruths out there today? Let me just ask you a simple question. Do you want to know the truth? Yeah, you do. How do you know the truth? Jesus says you abide in his word. Paul says it this way. In Ephesians four fourteen through 16 he says, So that we may not no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who's the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. He says, don't be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of false doctrine. Can you picture being tossed to and fro by the waves? I've told this story to you guys before, but many years ago, Don and I went to Cancun, and it's kind of, there was some kind of choppy water. There was a lot of riptide. There was a lot of just really bad waves. And, and Don loves the beach. I like being in the water on the beach. Don just likes to sit there on the beach. So I decided to get out into the water. I'm like playing and diving and jumping and, you know, having fun out in the water. And, and I didn't realize how bad the waves were. So at about, after about 10 minutes, I look up, I'm like, where in the world am I? Well, I didn't know what was going on because I was having so much fun playing in the water that the waves, the riptide, had carried me about a mile down the beach. So I get out, and I'm like, <laughs> where in the world am I? So I, I literally walked, maybe not a mile, maybe a half a mile. I remember what our hotel looked like, but it took me probably about a half an hour to walk all the way back to where, Don, where the towel was. The point is, it's very easy to be caught up in the waves tossed to and fro I wasn't paying attention I was out there having fun Paul says you can be tossed to and fro by false teaching by untruths by heresy by deceptions and not even know it how do you not get tossed to and fro how do you not get blown around you read the scriptures you memorize the scriptures you meditate on the scriptures and you obey the scriptures there's a lot of false teaching out there. There's more, I don't think, fa- there's always been false teaching. I mean, even from the very beginning. But because of the internet and because of social media and because of YouTube, there's more proliferation of false doctrine that you can be exposed to than at any time in history, I think. And there's so much out there. How do you know true from False. Just because somebody posts something on Facebook that's one of your friends and they claim to be a Christian doesn't necessarily mean that it's solid. Or just because somebody you used to think was solid may no longer be solid. <laughs> You've got to be discerning. 1 Timothy 4.1 says this. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. There's a lot of demonic teaching and deceitful teaching out there today so you need to learn to be discerning and hebrews 5:14 says the solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil now i want i want to focus on that passage of scripture you need solid food okay one of the things that you, when you come to emmanuel you're not going to get milk You're not going to get Captain Crunch or baby food. You're going to get solid food because my goal is to mature you or or God's, God's goal is to mature you through the word. But notice what that verse says. Your powers of discernment need to be trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. In other words, You need to constantly be practicing discernment, and and it needs to be trained. How are you trained to practice discernment? Well, you need to constantly be in the true word so that you know. You've probably heard this before. How do U.S. Marshals determine what counterfeit money is? Do they study the counterfeit, or do they study the real U.S. bills? They study the real bills. They study the bills. They look at the bills. They understand what the true is, so that when a fake comes along, they're able to figure it out. So I would say, don't dabble into all the falseness out there, so you get to know them better. Spend all your time in the truth, so that when the false comes on, you can sniff it out. You know, I used to, you know, early in my ministry. Even before I was a pastor, I wanted to know like all the other belief systems. Like I wanted to know what Mormons believe, what Jehovah's Witness believe, what all these different things believe. And so I was like getting into all the different beliefs. And, I, and somebody, maybe it was my youth pastor or my pastor or somebody or my dad, somebody stopped me and said, said, Sean, you're going to drive yourself crazy trying to figure out what everybody else believes. And there, there's a time and place for that. But I would rather you as a young man spend time knowing what the Bible says and be solid in the scriptures so that you know what the truth is. And that was good advice. Now, later on, I still dabbled into what all those other belief systems were, but I think you can lose the forest for the trees by being so much into all the weird stuff out there, trying to figure out what it is that really you need to be in the true stuff, be in the scriptures. So let me just say this. There is a direct correlation between abiding in the word and growing in the knowledge of the truth. The more you abide, and the word the more you know the truth and you're not influenced by false teaching now does this mean that as a christian you are always 100 percent correct in every area of doctrine and you can never be influenced or swayed no it doesn't mean that does it mean that you won't ever get tripped up from time to time no it doesn't mean that but what it does mean is the way to prevent you from getting sidetracked is to abide. So let's all these different words. Okay, what, what words have we looked at tonight? Let's just kind of go back. Don't be conformed. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So have your mind renewed. Put off the old. Put on Christ. Meditate on the scriptures. Memorize the scriptures. Abide in God's word. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's not on your sheet, but that's just a verse. Let the, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So we need to be saturating ourselves in scriptures, both through the public means of grace, being in a worship service where the gospel is rightly preached, and you're sitting under expository preaching week in, week out, so that you can be fed corporately and then privately in your personal devotions. You're saturating yourself with scripture so that you can abide in God's word and you can have your mind transformed. And that you will know what the truth is, and the truth will set you free. Jude 3 says this Beloved, I thought, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You need to be able to contend for the faith, understand the truth, fight for the truth. And Jesus said in John 17, 17 in his high priestly prayer, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, notice he says your word is truth. He doesn't say your word is true. Now, there's nothing that would be wrong with that. But he says your word is truth in the sense that your word is truth with a capital T. It is the truth. So, saturating yourself in the Scriptures, in God's Word, is one of the primary means of growing you in your sanctification. Through two means. The outward public and the personal and private means. So he's graciously giving us the public means of grace through the powerful preaching of his Word, expository preaching week in, week out from this pulpit to grow in grace and godliness and then he's also prescribed for us the private means of grace through personal scripture saturation. So the question is are you taking advantage of these means of grace that God has given for your growth? Are you being so saturated in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit is renewing your mind and giving you the power to obey the word as you grow to be more like Jesus. All right. And by the way, I, I think this was assumed tonight, but I didn't like explicitly say it. In your personal private Bible reading time, you also pray. There's also prayer involved in that. And a good model is the Lord's Prayer, not that you say it by rote, but that you use it as a template, as a guide to help you, like, fashion your, your praying. But, you know, you want to have that time. I mean, I'll kind of tell you, like, my, my personal devotion is, okay, so I start out by asking the Lord to open my eyes because I need help, especially if I'm tired or it's early. Lord, open my eyes, and then I will read the passage of Scripture that I have for that day. I don't do a hear journal per se, H-E-R, but I do do a journal, and I will write down my thoughts, some questions, insights, and then I'll write like a prayer out to the Lord of how this verse is impacting me. Um, And then I'll I'll think about the Scripture, and then um, I'll spend the rest of the time in prayer. And um, I'll start out praying to the Father. Then I'll start out praying to Jesus the Son. And then I'll start out, then I'll I'll pray to the Holy Spirit in worship, praising each person of the Trinity for what they do in my life. Um, And then I'll confess sin. And then I'll start doing requests. And then um, sometimes I'll pray the prayer that I wrote down or I'll pray the scripture back to the Lord or or however. And that's kind of how I do it, but it's not how you need to do it but there's not a rhyme or reason to how it's just that you need to um, in some ways be saturating yourself with scripture and being spending time in prayer and I'm not going to be legalistic if you miss a day ooh you're a terrible Christian and you God loves you less that's that's not what I'm saying um, it's, it's a means of grace it's a way God grows you not, you shouldn't feel guilty if you miss a day or two days, or a week, or a month, or a year. No. <laughs> All right, you guys ready to pray? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and I'm thankful for that, and that you've given us your scriptures so that we can be saturated in it, Lord. So help us to read your word carefully and prayerfully, and help us to memorize the scripture, and to meditate on the scripture, and to be obedient to the scripture, and Lord, help us not to be, trans- help us not to be uh, conformed to this world, but, be- but transform us by the renewal of our minds, help us to abide in your word, help us know the truth, the truth will set us free, Lord, help us just to be people of the word, and Holy Spirit, thank you that you do that work in us, and you grow us, and you stretch us, and you, you make us more like Jesus, and we're thankful for that, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.